This episode of Drive is recorded on the lands of the Arakwal people of the Bunjalung Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'm Leila McKinnon, and welcome to Drive, a podcast about driven women delivering in their chosen fields in partnership with Uber Eats for a second year. Each week, I speak to strong and passionate women who are leading their lives their way. I've been a journalist for nearly 30 years, and I've interviewed some of the biggest celebrities in the world. But along the way, I've discovered that the most interesting stories often come from people who we've never or very rarely heard from before. Lisa Cox is a multi-awarded writer, presenter and consultant. After contracting an infection and suffering a brain hemorrhage at 24 years old, which resulted in over 25% blindness, loss of one leg, 10 toes and 9 fingertips, Lisa has dedicated the last 16 years to advocating for the underrepresentation and misrepresentation of people with a disability in media and pop culture. I spoke to her about using spending power to create change, gratitude and reshaping cultural norms. Lisa Cox, thanks for joining me on Drive. I've seen you describe yourself as being fueled by a fierce desire to disrupt the way disability is represented in popular culture. And I love that. It sounds so active, sort of like a smashing the patriarchy vibe. And it does strike me that disability is quite often portrayed as being, apart from Paralympians, It's often portrayed as being a bit sadder and more passive than that. That must be irking. That's correct. It is unfortunately portrayed that way quite quite often, as you said. To generalise both extremes of the spectrum, you're either a Paralympian doing incredible things or a really sad and oppressed person who is burdened by a miserable life with disabilities. And there's absolutely some really tragic cases out there that I've seen firsthand um, with my work but that's not how how many of us live we're just doing quote-unquote normal things getting on with life and driving kids to school doing laundry doing grocery shopping all of those sorts of things so it's really important we see those representations in mainstream media so the general public can understand that me and all my friends with disabilities uh, are really just like them. You're just like them, but also in some ways, there's a lot of warrior about overcoming, you know, especially when I look at your situation, uh, what you went through at just the age of 24. Man, you had to be strong, didn't you, to get through that? Oh, absolutely. But I'm very fortunate to have had some strong people around me and some pretty smart people in lab coats. But um, my family, absolutely amazing and friends, all those sorts of people. So I certainly didn't do it alone. can't take full credit. I, was a, I always have been a little bit stubborn. And I think that certainly helped me overcoming, say, the first year in hospital and things like that. Yeah, as a parent, when I saw the photos on your blog, on your website of you in hospital um, around that time, I just felt for your mother. You know, I guess it's one thing to go through it yourself, but for a parent, wow, she must have been so afraid. And oh, I, can, I can only imagine, I, I put my family through hell. I really did. And I feel, I feel bad about it all the time. 
for for two months I was on life support and every day until I came off that life support they were told that they may have to turn it off because they couldn't find a brain signal after my brain hemorrhage and and things like that so I can only begin to imagine what a traumatizing time it was for them I'm not a parent now but having a puppy is not the same thing but anything happens to him and and I'm I'm a mess I suppose it's it's much easier for me to handle things when they're they're happening to me, but when things happen to my loved ones, my husband, mum, dad, my family, it's certainly a lot harder to handle. Right, let's go back. We actually did the same degree, one of the degrees you did at the same university. So I can sort of picture where you were coming from to a certain extent. And I remember myself being the age that you were when you got the infection, 24. You know, I was pretty immature and naive. Everything had gone my way. Um, uh, you know, I can so I can kind of picture. I mean, maybe you were more mature than me, probably. But wow, you weren't expecting a bolt from the blue. Tell us what happened. Well, as you mentioned, I'd I'd been to university and got my two degrees here in Brisbane, and then moved to Melbourne for work in advertising agencies. So was working quite happily in advertising agencies as a copywriter, loved my job with national and international brands and must have been doing something right because I'd been promoted and won awards and things like that then. Was at Melbourne Airport one morning when, without any warning, as is usually the case, I had a brain hemorrhage or a stroke. So I spent the next three weeks in a coma, two months on life support and over a year in hospital after that. And during that first year, my left leg, all of my right toes and nine of my fingertips were amputated. I had heart surgery and a, a total hip replacement as well. But they're all of the, I suppose, the visible disabilities and things that you can see, but there's plenty more invisible disabilities because of my permanent brain injury. So I'm over 25% blind now. I have epilepsy, chronic pain, neuropathic pain and chronic fatigue. So that's me in a nutshell, but there's, as I've, I've said before, there's, you know, there's my health my health history, but there's so much more to me and other people with disabilities than their diagnosis. Wow, that's just mind-blowing to imagine what you went through. I guess you don't have a choice in that situation, do you? You've just got to keep on going. But were there things that you did or thought that helped you to get through, obviously your family, but within you? To this day, I still don't know how on earth I did it, to be to be completely honest. I was in isolation wards where it was just me, a bed, four walls, no Instagram to scroll through or no social media like there is these days with COVID isolation. But I think I drew on some of my past experiences to help me. And one of those, for example, is I'd spend a lot of time traveling through uni and and when I was younger and seen some extreme devastating poverty so even though I was in a public hospital bed eating really really disgusting hospital food I knew that I I was lucky I was I was quite quite privileged to be in this air-conditioned bed because unfortunately there were were people in in far worse situations on levels above and below me in the hospital ward there were people who wouldn't be going home so I certainly hoped I would be going home and that's what my doctors had planned for me. And I recognised that I had something to be grateful for because that was going to be my outcome and there were people who were not going to experience that. Thinking about that and how you drew on what you had, I'm just wondering, 
maybe I can never complain about anything again. Like, do you hear people complaining about small things and want to slap them or is that just life? We've all got things. No, that's just life. I complain about small things all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I I absolutely had my my moments of gratitude and sunshine in hospital, but make no mistake, there were plenty of, of really sad sad times with plenty of tears and no absolutely absolutely complain if you want to it's something I do if it's if it's justified I suppose I complain less these days about maybe something that's not going my way right Um, and you're busy anyway aren't you life is good life as you said you have your challenges still with all of the things that you've gone through, then they haven't gone away completely. But you're busy. You're, you're fighting the good fight. Tell me about all the things that you are working towards at the moment. Yeah, life is pretty awesome. Still with challenges, of course, and still with worse days and some, but life is awesome. So these days I'm living back in Brisbane, seeing my family all the time, and met and married an amazing man about 11 years ago. So these days I've found a way to fuse my professional background, which was in media and advertising, with my lived personal experiences with disability. So I loved media, I loved advertising, always have, and was quite distraught at the idea of having to give that up completely. And I used to watch TV, commercial TV in the hospital room and sort of rewrite all the advertising scripts in my head and think I would have used this tagline instead of that tagline and a bit of a media junkie, but (laughs) that's just me. So these days I'm working with brands and businesses to better represent disability in mainstream pop culture, like the media, advertising, marketing, and even the fashion industry. Yeah, it seems that, you know, in many ways that diversity is improving quite a lot. And when you watch advertisements on TV, there's quite often people of colour, people of all ages, but it's more rare to see people with disabilities. You're exactly right. And unfortunately, I've referred to disability before as the least palatable form of diversity. And you're correct, There, it has certainly been the case in advertisement, but I've also seen it in the fashion industry as well. There has been a diverse push with things like size and colour, which is absolutely wonderful. That in itself is good, but still disability doesn't get a look in. So I'm working with the decision makers and the content creators to change that. Yes, because if you can't see it, you can't be it. I'm reading Harry Potter to my kids at the moment. We, we watched the second movie last night after reading the books. And I was thinking if, you know, Hermione or, or Ron had been in a wheelchair or, or had some kind of a disability and it was just part of, you know, who they were, that would mean a lot, wouldn't it? Not only to children who might recognise something of themselves in that, but to children to see that we're all part of the same community and there's no need to fear people with disability or to to be concerned about what to say or whether to say anything. That's exactly right. And kids said the funniest things to me, but that's okay, they're kids. And it's helping to normalise disability just by having those everyday representations. And the example I give is my little nieces and nephews, they're not freaked out by me. They interact with me just as they would my non-disabled husband, brother, sister. And part of the reason is because they see me all the time. I'm in their life nearly every week 
and it's just been normalised to them that, yeah, Auntie Lisa's in a wheelchair and she looks a bit different, no big deal. And they just don't care that I have a disability, which is great. That's just how I like it. And imagine if we took my little example in my own little family and blew that out onto a global scale where nobody, not that they didn't care that you had a disability, because obviously some people do need some more assistance than others, but it didn't it didn't scare people or make people awkward. It just became a, a very normal part of society because that's that's what it is. There's roughly twenty percent of the population who have some sort of disability. So it should be reflected on our screens. What kind of brands are doing it right? Are there anybody that's sort of leading the way? Yeah, there are a few out there. I'm really excited that there are more and more jumping on board and and doing it well. But one that I had something to do with recently was Ford Australia. They contacted me to help with the social campaign. And I saw the message and had a bit of a laugh first, thought it was spam because as I mentioned, I'm over 25% blind. And really, who gets a visually impaired girl to be in a car ad? I just thought that was hilarious. (laughs) As it turned out, they recognised that there are so many people out there who, like me, might not drive themselves but still need an automobile so that was a really really exciting campaign to be a part of so full credit to Ford Australia and then there's other brands like even even Kmart have included a line of dolls with disabilities so it's not just the normal Barbie but Barbie in a wheelchair with a prosthetic leg and there's another doll with Down syndrome, those those sorts of things. So it's so important for kids to have that inclusion at an early age so that it just builds up the normality in their minds. Right, and it's not a charity, is it? There's a lot of people out there with money who have disabilities. Surely that's it would work for brands. Right. Yeah, and I suppose that's part of the approach I've, I've taken with my advocacy in the last while. There are some absolutely wonderful advocates out there doing really, really great things. But I've spent enough time in boardrooms with suits to know that at the end of the day, all some people care about is the bottom line. And that's fair enough. It's their jobs. That's that's how it is. So I try to come at it from a business perspective as well. And that's my professional background. So it's a little bit easier. But if we take that roughly 20% of the population that's an enormous market share that brands and businesses are just missing out on by simply ignoring because we have credit cards and we can shop. And as I've said in the interview before, I can't walk, but I can shop. So going back to cars, I don't drive our car, but I paid for it. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back after a message from our partner, Uber Eats. Uber Eats is proud to support Feed Appeal who are dedicated to improving the lives of people experiencing hunger or food insecurity. The work of Feed Appeal and their partner charities has always been crucial in providing meals for struggling Australians. But since COVID-19, there has been a sharp increase in food relief requests, with many Aussies reaching out to ask for help for the first time in their lives. Throughout the pandemic, Feed Appeal have worked incredibly hard to maintain their vital services and innovate new ways to help those in need. And as part of the ongoing partnership between Uber Eats and Feed Appeal, more than 760,000 meals have been delivered to vulnerable households. If you're looking for help or know someone in your community who is, please reach out to one of Feed Appeal's partner charities in your state at feedappeal.org.au. Welcome back to Drive, where my guest today is Lisa Cox. 
I think people sometimes are frozen by the fear that they might say or do something wrong or offend. Can I just ask you a couple of questions about terms? Uh, yeah, I was told years ago not to say disabled person, but a person with a disability. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that right? How concerned are you about the, the language people use and, and what, what are the right terms? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I hear where you're coming from. I spent the first 24 years of my life without disabilities and I used to be that really awkward, confused person who was like, shit, what do I say? I don't want to offend anyone. So I completely understand if people are a bit awkward about what terms to use and that's where I try and help them. The person first language, me personally, I'm not precious about that one, but it it may offend some people. So the blanket rule is that everybody's different. There is no one size fits all approach in terms of what language to use and not use. There is some words that are generally recognised as as no-go zones. In terms of person with a disability or disabled person, I use both of those interchangeably and it doesn't personally bother me, but it may bother bother some others. So when you're out and about in your hometown shopping or, or getting around, do people treat you like they used to treat you or are there problems <laughs> <No>. there? <laughs> no, no, definitely. Definitely not. In my my very, very local community, they treat me quote unquote normally because they see me every day but um my husband is forever being mistaken as my carer unfortunately so people will will sometimes speak to me with either patronizing or condescending tones or or assuming that I'm intellectually impaired or intellectually disabled just because I'm in a wheelchair or that I can't my hearing has somehow been diminished because I'm in a wheelchair so they'll they'll speak loudly so there are so many ways where I'm treated differently. And from a shopping point of view, I've, I've spoken before about the fact that I used to walk into a store with my credit card and sales assistance would come running. These days I wheel in with my credit card and can't get any help to save myself. But going back to the strangers that approach me in public and maybe say some silly things, I've um, mentioned before on in different articles that I, I try not to just get furious and start lecturing them about ableism every chance I get because I recognise that so much of that communication is based on decades worth of input from maybe media stereotypes and those sorts of things. So in, in some ways, it's all they know. And that's not excusing the behaviour. It's not great, but it certainly gives me something to aim towards in terms of what I can help to change. How are you finding when you do talk to people about having more diversity? Are people open-minded? Are people keen to get going? Do you feel things are changing or are you banging your head against the wall? bit of both. <laughs> so... I started talking about the need for representation in in pop culture. Maybe it's been 16 years since my disability, so maybe 15, 14 years ago. And everybody just looked at me like I was absolutely bonkers. But these days there's a greater understanding of the, the need for diversity and inclusion. And we are seeing some leaders like Ford Australia and other brands who are stepping up to the challenge and representing people with disabilities. So I think it's a little bit easier for other brands to maybe follow suit when they see leaders like Ford taking charge. So what's on the, your top three list of things that get your goat? If, if it's just me out at the shops or the cafe or something like that, talk 
talk to me like you'd talk to anybody else. I suppose that would be the easiest one. Some people need to be addressed differently, but in my particular instance, just talk to me as you would anyone else and recognise that I have interests outside of wheelchairs and the NDIS and amputations. And I love talking about politics and fashion and all those sorts of things as well. So don't think that our conversation is only limited to discussions about wheelchairs. Right. And fashion, you, you do have an interest in fashion. And I saw on your Instagram page, which is outrageously entertaining and great messages <laughs> and really fun, um, that there's a bit of trouble for you even finding beautiful fashionable clothes that work for you. Yeah, that's that's correct. So inclusive fashion is something that I suppose it's been moving a bit faster over in the US in the UK, but it's only just starting to take off here in Australia. And inclusive fashion is basically fashion that is designed with people who have disabilities or trouble moving in mind. So somebody may have really bad arthritis in their hands, for example. So they don't identify as having a disability, but they can't do our buttons for that reason. And an inclusive top will just have magnets instead of buttons. So from the outside, it looks like an ordinary shirt, but it just makes dressing so much easier and gives people back that independence. So I've been working with some some really great brands like Christina Stevens, Australia's first inclusive fashion brand, and they're really leading the way in terms of getting inclusive fashion to be better recognised around Australia. I guess there are so many things that you don't even really think of when it comes to the unfairness. And and one of them would be we all have the right to wear beautiful things and go into cafes without having to be assisted in there. And do you still find that there are things now that are affecting you that you don't realise or have you been through it all? Are there are things that I, I definitely realise. So there are a lot of things for for so many different reasons, which are just off the cards for me. And I might only discover that once I get there. Right. I suppose over the years, I've learned that one of the best ways to speak up is with my consumer dollar. So if I go into a store or can't access a store because there's no wheelchair access, as an example, I just won't spend my money there. Those sorts of situations, and that goes for everyone, not just with disabilities or not. But I know I was speaking with young women about body image years ago and talking about how destructive things like magazines can be and explained to them that by buying them or by clicking on something on the website, you're essentially encouraging it. So the best way we can all all speak up, if you can't stand up speak up, is with our spending dollars. I'm imagining you going to a shop, not being able to get in, going to a shop nearby and coming back, pretty woman style, with all your bags. (laughs) Big mistake. Remember me? Big mistake. Oh, God. I've had so many pretty woman moments. I love that movie, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's excellent. And 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 it's good when you get to be Julia Roberts, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I had plenty of those moments. Right. Um, Last year, we're a year into the pandemic now, there would Mm -hmm. be many, many people, and, you know, I saw it myself, who've who've always felt that they had control, more control than they really had over their lives, who were knocked sideways by corona and were sort of astonished that then they had to plan every excursion and it might not happen. 
But I guess yeah. you were uniquely equipped for it, having gone through oh. what you'd been through. In the strangest, worst way, yeah. um, you're correct. I did have a few more coping skills up my sleeve. I know it's been really, really tragic for so many people and a lot of the disability sector have been affected. But for me, life life just went on as normal. And I've spoken to a few friends with disabilities who felt the same way, that isolation is or, or not being able to go out or not being able to, to get an Uber or get down the stairs all of those things are just such a normal part of our lives. While the rest of the world was losing it, things went on as, as normal for us fairly much. So I know we've been very fortunate here in Australia and in Brisbane especially. As I briefly mentioned before, being in isolation, I've been in isolation rooms in the hospital for weeks where it was just me and the four walls, no, no phones or, or things, no social media to scroll through or anything like that. So... Learning how to, to keep my mind occupied is, is certainly something I've had a bit of practice with. What does 2021 have in store for you, do you think? What are your plans this year? A bit more of the same, I think. I'm really excited about, despite the mess that went on with COVID for um, 2020, really excited to see some some great brands, like even styling your fashion brand, incorporating inclusion and disability into their marketing and advertising. So hopefully encouraging more of that. There's a few exciting little projects going on down in Sydney with Fashion Week, but I've, I've signed a very long non-disclosure agreement, so <laughs> I won't be able to talk about that. Oh, you're such a tease. This sounds exciting. <laughs> That's great because I think I saw on your blog you were talking about that you had gone to Fashion Weeks in the past and you'd spoken to designers and they were excited about the inclusivity of their collection, but you were disappointed at the time. So, so this may be it this year. That's exactly right. So that was going back to our earlier conversation about disability being the least palatable form of diversity. I was interviewing designers on the red carpet at a runway show and each was, you know, puffing out their chest and speaking proudly of how diverse their collections were. And I was so excited to see them. But as each designer brought out the collection, there were some plus-size models and models of colour. And that in itself was just wonderful. But diversity still didn't get a look in, even though we are the biggest minority, I believe, with incredible spending power, not a look in. So that was incredibly disappointing. So I've been speaking to a, a lot of people in the industry for quite some time. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. Los Angeles, Hollywood really has the biggest opportunity, doesn't it, to make a big difference um, with it, characters with, yes. with the disabilities. Is, is that something you've got your sights on? They've been pretty disappointing, I would imagine. It's certainly something that um, I don't plan to be over there, have my sights on that. But I did an interview recently about it, about the stereotypes that Hollywood is is really pushing through through their films. And I suppose there's an understanding now that it's you would never paint a white man black to appear in a movie. That you just cannot believe would happen. And in the same way, it's just as unacceptable to get an able-bodied actor or a non-disabled actor, plonk them in a wheelchair and let them be disabled for the part. Now, 
things like, you know, Forrest Gump, he was the butt of all jokes. That's also another stereotype that we see um, coming across. And Rain Man, that's, that's another one. All the James Bond films, the evil villain always has some sort of disability or deformity or something like that. So all sorts of popular culture have such an enormous effect on social attitudes and how the public perceives the disability or, or something else. And so there's such incredible potential there for the likes of Hollywood to help shape cultural norms appropriately. There's a bit of hope there, I think, with the younger generation who are coming through. I mean, I sound like I'm 100 years old, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I, I saw a show. Have you seen a show called Rami? No, but I think I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's by this guy. I think his name is Rami. It's a comedy. It's excellent. And he's sort of looking at his life and what it means to be a Muslim in America. And his best friend in the show is a comedian. Uh, what's his name? His name is Steve. I can't remember his last name, but he has muscular dystrophy. Yeah. And he's in the show and they are just inappropriate and hilarious. And <sighs> it is just, I could just imagine that that would be a model for what needs to happen, to have somebody who has those disabilities playing someone in a real and fun, in a way that he's just like another person. But, you know, he has disabilities. Rami is Muslim. I mean, there's so much diversity in that show and I highly recommend it and I'm hoping that oh, a lot more young people come fantastic. through. fantastic. And just the fact that they're not because they have a disability and their whole role isn't central to their disability, they're on the couch watching football or whatever they do, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be a lot more than that and I'm I'm counting on those young people to help out. Oh god, I send a hundred as well. Yes, well back in my day and kids these days, they are, <laughs> they are Isn't it funny crazy. though, when you look back, you're a little bit younger than me, but you you do you look at Rain Man and you look at Forrest Gump and think, What were we thinking? I know. I know, and even um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, what's in Gilbert Grape? I think he, he won awards for that, and so it's not just wrong, but we're also awarding that sort of behaviour, which wouldn't happen these days, thankfully. Well, let's hope so, and let's hope it's going to change in, in the future. You're entertaining, as I said, on your Instagram, and you, and you make so much sense. Absolutely brilliant, and you're an important voice in Australia and in the world and, and for people with disabilities, for all of us. And I really appreciate you talking to me this morning. Thank you so much, Layla. It was really great speaking with you. Thank you so much for listening. Drive is a future women podcast made in partnership with Uber Eats and is produced by Bad Producer Productions. Make sure you've subscribed so you never miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could leave a rating and review as it really does help us reach more people.